This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Noom uses the latest in proven behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good. Noom builds personal plans that can meet an individual's needs, takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching, their platform has helped millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. I think a lot of intelligence has gone into the whole Noom system. They really think about how humans live, how they think, what their psychology is, and it's all been used to help people control their weight. So stay focused on what's important to you with the Noom psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's Noom, N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen for 100 Healthy and Delicious Recipes to Promote Better. Living available to buy now, wherever books are sold. Hi, my name is Sean Penn, and I feel relieved to be Conan O'Brien's friend. Yes, you think you've had life-altering experiences up until now, but no, you will never be the same after this conversation. Which is why it's a relief. <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are gonna be friends, yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hello, I'm Conan O'Brien, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I put the pause in there just for dramatic effect. I didn't forget the name of the podcast. That was me doing a little something, a little piece of business to create some tension right at the top. It's, it's uh, cool to do it, it and then talk about it. Yeah. It kind of deflates it. Yeah. I understood that Sona was being sarcastic, Gorley. I didn't need you to interpret it. <laughs> oh, um, I did not understand she was being sarcastic. I oh, thought she okay. was giving you a legitimate note. Right. Yeah. That she thought it was really good. No, Sona all the time... Uh, has a very simple comedic style, which is, wow, Conan, you looked so cool when you bought that gumball out of a machine and it fell on the floor. <laughs> and I know that that means it didn't look cool when I tried yeah. to get the gumball out of the machine and it fell on the floor and I chased it like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's um, my comedic style. Yeah, your comedic style. sarcastic. It's, yeah. it's very simple. You just say the opposite of uh, what happened. Gee, Conan, I'm so satisfied with my salary. And I know what that means. I know you think it's code. Yeah. But I know that it means you're unsatisfied with your salary. Yeah. And then it all, I always followed up with give me more money. And yeah. I was an innovator because I hired Sona 11 years ago, Sona. And 12. I started 12. Well, I mean, 11 years of work. 
there was a whole year there where you just goofed around. I mean, aggregate, you know, if you added up all the hours of you watching reality shows at work. That's actually very generous. You know what? I was thinking, as I said it, I was like, oh my God, that's the kindest thing I've ever said to you. It really is. But you know, I started, remember Sona when I said, uh, it doesn't even really exist yet, but I'm going to pay you in Bitcoin, remember? And you didn't understand, but we agreed to it. And I've been paying you in in Bitcoin for 12 years. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. what to do with it. Cause I, can you please explain to me how Bitcoin works? I'd love to hear it. Well, it. trust me, yeah. you don't receive it and you can't see it in your bank account, but uh-huh. you've been very well compensated for your work with me in Bitcoin. So how did you do it though? I really want to know about your process and paying me with Well, Bitcoin. you know, I'm a, I'm a tech savant. Exactly. So yeah. How am I going to explain this to you, Sana? It's impossible. <laughs> I dragged, what happens is I go to Bitcoin uh, <laughs> and I drag the amount over into the box that says Sona, and then I, I drop it there, and that's how it goes in. You do a drag and drop. I do a drag and drop, oh, yeah, okay. for Bitcoin, and that's how I pay you in Bitcoin. I have, I'm going to go on the, re- I am, as you can tell, and you, if you're a regular listener, you know this for a fact, I think that if you had a, uh, I'm going to say an old preacher uh, get into a time machine in 1811 and come out into the world now, that old preacher would understand technology better than I do. Don't you think? I honestly don't know. I, I, I write in little notebooks. I'm afraid of my computer. I don't really understand what's happening. And, uh, but I am surrounded by people who really understand it very well. Will Becton is sitting just feet from me. Will, uh, hats off to you. You do a great job. He came to my house to turn on the computer for me. <laughs> Because, and we don't know why, but when I do it, blue foam comes out. We don't even know what that foam is, but Will Becton comes all the way. He lives very far from where I live in a rural uh, dairy farm country, I believe, just based on his hat and uh, his overall appearance, uh, deep, deep in dairy country. And he drives here in uh, what appears to be a covered wagon, and he comes into my house and he takes care of everything so I don't touch any buttons because- isn't this true, Matt? We've had we've recorded episodes where it turned out that I it stopped recording seconds in because I maybe actually touched accidentally touched a button. Yeah, or there's something about the frequency of your voice that just fried the circuitry of the computers <laughs> and stuff like that. Hmm. Okay. I don't mean that you have a, a like a bad frequency. It's just there's something. You know, about I'm sensitive that, about my voice. I'm very sensitive. Well, I, I don't I've like heard you talk about it before, but I didn't mean it that way. Oh, how did you mean it? You said my voice can destroy. Well, I didn't mean actually that your destroy voice was circuitry. Bad. Okay, what is it about? I was just going with your your bit, Dad. <laughs> I don't think. So. I don't think so. I'd like to go now. I don't think so. You said, Dad. I'm gonna sit at this table in the kitchen wearing a <laughs> V-necked white T-shirt, drink more gin, and harangue you as your angry father figure. Um, I was just hoping to go out with the fellas tonight. You're not going anywhere. You'll stay here and tell me what's wrong about my voice. Uh, Anywho, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all the help I get. I'm surrounded by uh, very uh, brilliant dairy farmers who also understand technology. Well, since Will's been coming to your house too, you've been in a much happier mood. Right, because you can hear me. We might even have tape of it, but you can hear me just going like, what? Wait a minute. No, it says it didn't record. Yeah. And I've just signed off. Remember that podcast we did with J.D. Salinger? The only time he'd ever been interviewed? <laughs> yeah. 
And I did a whole podcast with him and I asked him all the stuff everyone's ever wanted to ask him, like who is Holden Caulfield? What's the inspiration? Uh, you know, and he revealed everything. Yeah. And he went, and it was like a four hour podcast and it was just, and then at the end, I realized I hadn't pressed record on my end and he died the next day. <laughs> just total coincidence. And we didn't have it and we've never aired that yeah. because of technology. And that's when I said, I need someone who's very good at tech, but also has the appearance of a dairy farmer oh. <laughs> and the overall manner of a humble backwoodsman to come and set up my computer and, and press all the buttons so that if there is a mistake, it's not on me. And it's made, it's, I'm in a much better mood. Yeah. It's true. It has been, you know, coming to work's been easier. Mm -hmm. But you know what? J.D. Salinger was recording on his end. So we yeah. got him to send us hours before he died. We got him to FedEx us his side of the tape, which would have been invaluable. And uh, Sona got it and thought it was a screener for a Jumanji movie, and she shred it. Yeah. And um, so that's how that got lost. Oh, it's so, my fault. Yeah, that was your fault. You shred it, and it said, from J.D. Salinger, and then in parentheses, he wrote, last interview ever. I don't know how he knew he was going to pass. And he and FedExed he, it. And then he went think. to the FedEx place. Many yeah. people think, yeah, that he was, it was coming back from the FedEx place, mailing that to you, that he expired. Uh, you know, famously, he collapsed in front of a FedEx uh, unit. <laughs> what? You couldn't think of the word. What's it okay, called? Pop? Is, it is it a shop? Facility? Is an it a office? Store? I didn't want to say facility. An office Branch? doesn't sound right. Branch. That's what I should have said. Listen to that. You can hear. Wow. If you slow that down, you can hear my mind say, what's the available word? And it's just not there. So I said, unit. <laughs> The most nondescript universal word you could use for yeah. any item. Yeah. You know what? If you keep listening, because this is clearly degenerative. If you hear this podcast in a year, I'm going to say, yesterday I was talking to my kids, my daughter, Nev, and unit. I'm not going to know my son Beckett's name or that even that he's my son. I'm just going to pause. You're going to hear my brain try to find it. And I'm just going to say unit. Yeah. And then a year after that, I'll be like, this is unit. Welcome to unit. When you get to that point, Conan, that's when I'm going to rob you blind. She's being sarcastic. I think that you just, I, as far as, as long as I warn you, I feel like it's okay. But when you start saying unit a lot, that's when I'm going to be like, hey, you, know what you the trick sign is? this document. Sona, the trick is to become my manager because yeah. then that's the trick is to say, I manage Conan O'Brien now. And they'll say, yeah, we heard he lost his mind. And he just says unit all the time. And he's not available for things. And you go like, nope, he's ready to go. I get 70%. Uh, yeah. And he's going to host the MTV Movie Awards. And I come out, you lead me out. And um, I'm slimed. Or is that Nickelodeon? <laughs> That's, That's Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon Conan, okay, what's yeah, happening? But, oh, come on. That's fair. Okay. What? Yes. I think me having terrible, like literally something's gone wrong with my mind and all I can say is unit and walking out because Sona booked me to do a Nickelodeon event and then a bunch of slime drops. I say, they say, here he is, Conan O'Brien. And I come out and Sony, you lead me out. And then you give me a little cracker so that I'll stay. <laughs> and I stay there. And then I see the, I, I see the light go on and I go unit and then green slime drops on me. Yeah. That's my future. That's me in eight years. <laughs> and you get, then they, they give you the suitcase of money. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, I've earned it. And then you put me to bed, but you don't get the slime off of me first. You just put me to bed with the slime on. <laughs>
And even your own husband, you go home and your husband's like, that was weird with Conan. He just came out and he said unit and then slime dropped on him and then they went to black. Is he okay? I don't know. I took him home and put him to bed. Oh, well, who showered him? No one. He went to bed with the slime and tax like, that stuff's toxic. I should know. Why why should he know? Uh Uh-oh. Why should he know? Why should Tack know about toxic things? Yes. Why, why do you think? Chernobyl. So that's a terrible thing. So he went to summer camp near Chernobyl growing up. That doesn't mean he knows about toxic things. That's not even a funny thing to make a joke about, Sona. That's terrible. Let's move on. I can't wait to rob you blind. I can't wait to take everything you have when Please. you're unable Please. to fight me. I have to get on to the next unit. <laughs> and what a unit it is. My guest today is a two-time Academy Award winning actor. Wow. He beat me by two Oscars. (laughs) Who has starred in such movies as Milk, Mystic River, I Am Sam, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He's also led humanitarian efforts over the years through his nonprofit organization, CORE, which is the subject of a new documentary, Citizen Pen on Discovery Plus. He's always a fascinating conversation. I'm thrilled he's with us today. Sean Penn, welcome. How are you? How you doing? I'm, I'm well. I'm very well. Something was occurring to me today. I have talked to you, and this is a compliment, and I will say you are unique in that I never know exactly what the rhythm is going to be, and I always enjoy it because the times I've interviewed you, I don't know when the laughs are coming, when you're going to be silly, when you're going to be serious, and I don't know what's happening, and it's just I get on the Sean Penn wave, and I ride, and I really enjoy it. It's fun. <laughs> well, I think I have an explanation for that. I saw it on the news today as the thing was going by on at the bottom of the image where they talk about lack of sleep, and, and in your 50s, 60s, 70s, that you're more prone towards dementia. Uh, <laughs> and I think there's, I think what you've been facing is, you know, this impending neurological issue. Uh, so things shift depending upon my sleep patterns. I've heard you're an insomniac. Is that true? Yeah, it's a problem I have. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. When you say insomniac, meaning when do you get to sleep usually? Uh, between 11 and 1 lately. Okay. And then how much do you sleep? About two hours, then up for two hours, then back for an hour and a half, then up. Usually try to collect at least five hours, sometimes seven. Now, is it true you go clubbing in the two hours you're up? Because that can interfere with your sleep pattern. Yes, that's not the case. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, unless, my, unless, were- my, unless my den and, and forensic files is clever. Because <laughs> I've, I've had a camera on you, and you do, you're not aware of it, but you go clubbing and you party hard in the two well, hours that you're up. And that is hurting your sleep pattern. That's well, creating, creating a lot of neurological activity. Yeah. Oh, that's a sleep. They call that a sleep study, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 You have been my sleep study now for about five years. Uh, you know, they did say it just came out yesterday that neurological issues issues can show up if you're not getting enough sleep. Yeah, I'm I'm here to prove it. I've always found you to be very cogent. Uh, I do not think you have a neurological issue. Right, uh, if you do want to go to sleep, um, are you doing anything before you go to sleep that's harming you? Meaning, are you watching television? Are you watching a screen? Are you reading a Kindle off a screen? Are you looking at the internet? Vodka, murder, and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching, you know, crime shows with a vodka tonic and a cigarette. So, yes, I probably am not doing all that I should do to get a good night's sleep. I actually, I love a crime show. Are you, you love a crime show? Do you love a crime documentary? Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I, I try to, I sort of eat them uh, with the exception I, I find, especially lately, I don't respond that well when the, when the cases surround children. Uh, yes, anything else yes. I'm fascinated with. Yeah. 
Sona, you relate to this because you love true love crime. It. I I love true crime, and um, I I feel as if now maybe I'm wrong, but I sometimes I used to feel badly about watching so much true crime, and I thought, well, this is voyeuristic. I shouldn't be doing this, but I think it's made me uh, a very good detective. I think <laughs> I'm. I do. I really do think that I have become. I'm very, I've, I've so studied crime now. I've studied crime more than most criminologists. And so, and if you've done the same, Sean, we could solve crimes together. We could open a detective agency in Malibu and you and I could solve crimes. Or it would, perpetuate them. Without well, perpetu- well, how about both? How about we commit the crimes on a Thursday night and then we solve them on a Friday night? Sounds We'd be legends. Me. We'd be absolute <laughs> legends. <laughs> you know I'm going to waste your time today. You know that. You, uh, you understand I, that. I don't feel that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what occurred to me? Because you are so well known for traveling the world and really getting in there, uh, getting waist deep in whatever's happening and helping out, that it occurred to me today, is it even possible for you to go to an upscale hotel and chill? Are you able to do that? Because- God forbid someone took a picture of you with two cucumber slices on your eyes, drinking a margarita. It feels like, no, Sean Penn can't do that. He's got to be in the thick of it constantly, all the time. Uh, I take the risk. I do. When, when, I, when I have a moment to have cucumber slices on my eyes, I take it and so be it. If, if, if somebody snaps a quiet cell phone picture and puts it out there, letting the world know how self-caring I am. Because <laughs> we don't hear a lot about your moisturizing regimen, um, you know, yeah. the, the stretches you do. But, but you uh, see the results of it. I see the results. You look, you look fantastic. You look absolutely fantastic. I think we are of a similar vintage. And uh, I, I grew up in Boston. You grew up making short films here in, uh, in, in L.A. and Malibu. Do you ever show those films? Do those films exist? Are they seen? These are films that you made with like Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen. Would you ever show those? Yes. Allegedly, one of them still exists uh, in a in a back room at Emilio Estevez's house, though he's he's he says that he's searched for it, not found it. All the others, all the other films that that I made uh, in high school uh, were the victims of a house fire in in, in one of the. Uh, Santa Monica Mountains burned down one one of the many times. Uh, so I don't have copies of any, of any of those. Would you be fascinated to see yourself at that age acting, or would you rather not? I, I have a kind of uh, muscle memory of it. You know, I kind of have a sense of that time. And it was a period where I felt that I was, you know, without any previous to doing any training or, or even having made any kind of um, conscious decision to be an actor, um, I, it was a period of sort of finding that if not anything else, I had an ability to be reasonably naturalistic. And I think that that gave me a kind of interest in, in, in doing and seeing how it would be pushed further with any kind of foundational understanding of how to approach characters and, and move to characters rather than only having characters move towards me. Um, so yeah, I do remember finding a kind of e- easiness uh, with things at that time that that was a, a, you know sort of a seed of confidence to go forward. Well, it's almost that concept that when you start to learn things, it can. I'm not going to say ruin it because it doesn't ruin it, but when you start to train and learn, 
they always say, uh, it's that famous saying about kids, why are kids drawing so great? It's because they know when to stop. And I think holding on to that initial thing is, is, is really important. And then, you know, it's a very fragile period as you begin. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of actors and probably artists in other areas um, are injured by some of, you know, depending upon how lucky you are to stumble into a teacher or a mentor who understands that at the end of the day, the process is whatever works. Right. And you keep what's working and then add some colors to it if you can. I know that in comedy, when I was young, I just loved making people laugh. And then I started to learn. I started to, quote, learn what the rules are of comedy. And it took me a long time to realize that people were making up names for things and rules almost to justify that this was a craft that you needed to learn and yeah, there's stuff that you need to learn, but I, I almost felt like, no, this is getting in the way. I'm glad you brought up comedy because it's, it's something I hope we'll talk about just because of the times that we're living in and how difficult it must be. I'm, I'm so interested right now in how comedians are looking at the new world and the opportunities to express without being uh, instantly, quote unquote, canceled and so on. It's a, it's a tricky time, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, it is. I'm happy to talk about that. It's um, There've been a lot of different obviously, reactions to what should comedy be doing right now. And I, I know people in comedy, people that do the job that I do, that clearly feel like um, there's so much that's happening that doesn't feel funny, that uh, they feel like it's their job to speak out about those things. And I think, yes, that's great, but it's easy for that to just turn into anger and outrage and then you're not I feel like you're losing your way as a comedian and mm -hmm. I and I think that's what gets so tricky right now is the job is how can I reflect some of what's happening around me but also for me I just know that I serve at the altar of silliness and comedy and that is that's what I need to get back to that's what I need to try and that's where my strength comes and uh, that means sometimes, I have to be honest with you, there are times where the news is such that I feel like my comedy can't almost have anything to do with it. And some people might say, well, that's a cop-out. You should, you, you, you should make your comedy about what's happening right now. And I think I just don't have, frankly, I don't have that ability. There are, there are, times, where, there are times where it's embarrassing to be in show business. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there are times where um, I've had the experience traveling the world and not not a, a, a iota as much as you have, but I've been to some pretty intense places and I've thought, is entertaining really of any importance in the face of <laughs> the problems that these people have here and right now? And uh, it can really rattle your confidence in what you're doing. And, and I think that uh, that's probably true for actors as well. There are times where you think, um, is being in a movie really moving the puzzle piece forward? Is this mm -hmm. what I should be doing? And I, I, I think clearly you've somewhat wrestled with that. No question. I think in, uh, in daily, um, the, and it's why, you know, with humor, of course, uh, I think, you know, we do find that it's so essential to, uh, in every culture um, and in, in any kind of current or, or long-term healing process, 
what you said just a moment ago is the big question is when we see a world that's, you know, in the state that ours is today, you take your whole lifetime, whoever that is, in whatever your work is, and you wonder if any of it has helped to move anything forward when, it, when right. so, so often things seem to feel th- as though they're going backward and into some kind of anarchy and, and so much hatred and so on. It is kind of interesting to consider that sometimes these things are cyclic and that, that, that whatever the creative process is and, and whatever that offering is, at times is most potent reflecting those things going on in society. And other times it has to be led by what society is aspiring to at given moments. And so right. finding, finding that balance um, when you've been, you know, in my case, I've, I've typically been more interested in, you know, dramas that, that shine light on, on very challenging things in our culture. And, and yet today to do that is often you have to question whether or not in doing that at this moment, you're just perpetuating it. I had, uh, I had an experience you're aware of, but I do travel shows and I did a travel show a number of years ago to Haiti, which I know is a very important place to you. And there's so much poverty in Haiti and still recovering from just a devastating earthquake in uh, 2010. What I found when I went there was my salvation almost was keying into the people. There was a small school uh, for kids that's privately funded. I went to that school and it was little kids and I was silly with them. I just forgot myself and I was silly with them and they were laughing and I was disrupting the class and (laughs) making myself the idiot. And that kind of saved me. It sounds like I'm being uh, dramatic, but with these kids, we just made some silly stuff and that was a joy. Yeah. You know, here we talk about getting outside our comfort zones In in, in countries like Haiti, most of the people have never had any expectation or experience of comfort in any lasting way um, in the first place, not in, a, not in the way that we would look at it. So it circles back to the beginning of our conversation in terms of, you know, being, you know, this idea of living in the moment. Those kids you're talking about, when that moment arrives, they completely embrace it. And those faces, mm-hmm. those smiles are not the smiles that are, you know, burdened by the, the challenges their life has been. They're just right. full with what's happening at that moment. And it really is uh, insp- inspiring. Well, I've, we've learned to keep the cameras rolling because you never know what's going to happen. And after we were done shooting at this school, we're getting in the uh, truck to go back to a different part, go back to Port-au-Prince to uh, tape a different segment. But they're still, the crew's still breaking down the equipment and my, the window of my uh, my my truck is open, and I'm on the passenger side, and my arm is hanging out. And all these beautiful kids gather around, and they're looking at my exposed arm in wonder because <laughs> I am a light skinned Irish guy who's covered in freckles. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this, Sona, but they're all just like yeah. looking at my arm, like, "Oh, you, what is this that happened to you?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know, I love any situation. I really do love any situation where the whole thing is inverted. I'm not the alpha. I am not in the power position. They have pity for me <laughs> because, you know, they're questioning my hair. 
they're questioning, uh, oh, this poor guy, I'm the odd man out. And I've really had an appreciation for any time we can flip the script, not just as Americans, but as people, and put yourself in a situation where these kids literally wanted to get me to a doctor. <laughs> you know, I was there to try and help them and put light on their situation. <laughs> they were like, does this get better? No, no. Do you take medica- medication for this? No. This is yeah. called having Irish skin. I yeah, realize well, it's not attractive. <laughs> I, I, I think I think the bigger part of this, because I do remember and, and did see your show broadcast from Haiti. Um, I just remember feeling a lot of gratitude for, you know, what you have such a gift for humanly, which is just giving yourself to that and, 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 uh, you know, to being able to see those kids light up. It's a, it's a, it's a special thing myself. I don't have that in particular. I mean, I, I do my best in, in terms of the things that I do and facilitate, but even when it came to long before I went to Haiti, when, you know, whenever I, at some point, it, you, you, when, once you become a known actor, somebody asks you to visit a pediatric ward somewhere, yeah, yeah. Um, there's no saying no to it. So you mm-hmm. go, but I don't, I'm terrible at small talk, uh, whether a child is ill or, or healthy. I'm just not, um, I, do, I'm, I have inhibitions that, that are e- equal with, with children as adults. And I don't have that. So when I saw you bring, you know, that kind of freedom of spirit there, it was really, uh, it, it was very moving and fun. Did you feel like, because I know you've described yourself as, and you probably still are, you have a natural shyness, probably discomfort in social situations, and you did, especially as a younger person, that it, it, you always heard, and I think it's, it's true of comedy too, you reserve a place for yourself where you can do anything, and it's not really you. That's why the acting is so good, is that it is a, it's a place you can go that is completely fresh, and you're free, and you're not responsible because it's not you. It's a little bit like singing in the car to the radio. Um, you know, once you find that music uh, and you put your finger on it, it, it definitely is a freeing thing. Um, but there have been times where, you know, there will be, I didn't find that entirely. And, and then I felt either the static or somebody turned the radio off and I got to keep singing. Uh, yeah. And those are the times that are, those are the less fulfilling acting experiences. And is the song you're singing, It's Raining Men, when you're in the car? <laughs> it actually was. Well, my, 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 my buddy who uh, work is a, uh, works on film sets as a driver and he works with me whenever we're, uh, schedules line up, my buddy Chet, he and I were, and he's, he's a kind of five foot seven fire plug of a guy from New York. He's like a Jack Lane kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Sh- short but broad, muscly, grizzled guy. Uh, and I had one of his jobs was to have that queued up in the volume high. And as we came over, for those who know San Francisco, if you're coming from Lombard over to Visadero, as you summit to Visadero, you're looking straight into the Castro, which yep. was the yep. principal set of, of milk in the history of that story. And virtually, as we would, we'd stop at six in the morning, get spicy chicken wings from a place called American Wings, and be eating those wings. And then as we summited, Divisadero, uh, boom, it's raining men came on loud and clear every day of that shoot. <laughs> that is proof there's a God. You know, it's, uh, everything lines up. Everything lines up in the universe. So, 
Sona, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there. California. (laughs) California, Sona. No matter where you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So, Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. I got to say, everywhere I go, people are talking about Monopoly Go. And for good reason. It's an absolute hit. Yeah. I love Monopoly. People love Monopoly. And look, Monopoly's been around for a very long time. It's one of the oldest board games ever. Okay? Okay. But lately, I walk around and I just hear like, Monopoly Go, Monopoly Go, Monopoly Go. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And they say, we're playing Monopoly Go. You can play it with your family, your friends. It's a straight delight. There's always something new to do partner events where you can build on each other's boards and crazy tournaments with team events you can recruit your friends for, or you can just compete to outdo them all on the leaderboards. Mm. And when you're not messing with your family and friends, Monopoly Go is always throwing new stuff at you. They have taken Monopoly to the next level. I didn't think Monopoly had to go to the next level, but they did. (laughs) (laughs) There's timed events like massive multipliers for all your winnings and challenges like treasure hunts or money sprees that have fun new mini games, plus with tons of rewards to collect, like stickers for trading with friends and hilarious emojis that are perfect for gloating, there's always a reason to dip back in. Yeah. Man, they cracked it, you know? They did. So join the fun. Download Monopoly Go now free on the App Store and Google Play. Come on, if most people are being honest, No one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in what I like to call B2B. Oh, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. You know what I'm saying? I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. (laughs) Anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not, that's more people than are on earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. (laughs) That's one over 1 billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. 
I'm tough on biographical films because I always think a good documentary can usually tell the story better. And I thought an exception was Milk. I really did think that uh, I've seen documentaries about Harvey Milk in that era and that tragedy, but I actually thought the movie gave me a better insight than any documentary could. I don't know why that's true. You know, your performance obviously was fantastic, but uh, I don't want to give you credit because I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> it must be someone else. It, you know? it was It was a lot. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of that movie, and I, f- I feel very lucky to have been part of it with Gus Van Sant and Justin yeah, yeah, Black script and so on. But it, it, it brings up an interesting point, another one that I think about a lot these days. You know, but today, the, almost certainly I would not be uh, permitted to be cast in that role. We're, you know, That's we're right. Living, we're living in a time where if you're playing a gay a lead character, uh, you would have to be a gay man uh, or a trans character. Uh, and there have been these, these, these casting issues. And, I, you know, it does go back to, again, some of what we were talking about earlier in terms of finding the balance when you have a period of evolution that, that certainly – has an opportunity for people who have less have had less opportunities to move forward. Mm-hmm. That has to be supported, and yet in this pendulum swing society that that we're in, you wonder at some point if only Danish princes can play Hamlet. Right, uh, it's, right. It's, it's 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 it is, I believe, too restrictive. People are looking for gotcha moments and to criticize, and it's and it is mostly those on the sidelines, those who are not otherwise getting work, be they white, black, male, female. Right. Uh, but when I have conversations with colleagues um, of, of, of all stripes on a, on a private basis, it is almost universally agreed on. And it's only when people stand up at podiums that this becomes this very militant view about it. And, and the, the only position anyone can take is just sort of sit back and keep listening and keep watching and seeing where balance can be achieved. What you're talking about is I think what I find, I've always liked nuance. I've always thought that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. That's probably the way just I'm geared. I like to really think about things before I decide. I have found there's a pressure and I'm sure you felt the same thing. But there are moments where there's a demand for people in the public eye to behave a certain way or wear a certain T-shirt with a certain slogan. I always find it confusing because if I do something performative that everyone else is doing, it looks almost like I'm trying to get praise for having just a moral belief, which it's really what, makes me uncomfortable, you yeah, know? It's, and, it's, and, a, it's what they call virtue signaling, right? Yeah, it's or, virtue or, signaling. Or, or perceived as such. Yeah, or perceived as such. And I think it can get to be, the nuance can get bled out of things. And you can feel that um, I don't, I get uncomfortable when I think that everyone is getting uh, an email that says, this is the thing everyone should say today, Uh, especially if you're in the public eye or you need to post this. And so often, you know, we've seen it you know, fail spectacularly where someone uh, during the height of the Black Lives Movement several months ago right after George Floyd's killing, uh, you know, someone had the idea, let's just black out our, everyone should black out their social media page. 
And I'm sure there was a good feeling behind it, but a lot of people in the black community said, no, this is actually not helping. This isn't doing anything. And this is actually keeping other sites that are trying to talk about this. Uh, it's, 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 it's taking attention away from them and it's not what we want. And I, I, I don't know, it, it, it's such a confusing time. And you're right that it's, uh, it's a really good question. I love, I really love the movie Milk and I loved your performance in it. And that is a performance that would not happen today. Uh, what does that mean? Um, I don't disagree with that, but I also think the whole, it's really fascinating when it comes to acting because acting is all about uh, inhabiting, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis couldn't make my left foot, uh, you know, right. um, and that's a fantastic ground changing performance. So many, and, and so much of acting as you know, a lot better than I do is about suspend suspension of disbelief and transforming yourself. And so, yeah, we may find that this pendulum swing is, has to be reexamined in some of these areas, but. Yes, because also it takes away an opportunity for actors, be it what Daniel did so brilliantly in that movie or the, any, any opportunities that I have had, you know, there is something in having, in embodying a certain kind of empathy for whether it's uh, in his case a handicapped person or if it's mm -hmm. somebody is uh, gay and therefore marginalized depressed um, to, to step into that and, and is I think something that really draws a lot of uh, creative energy and what's happened now is that in place of creative energy we're all sort of burdened with the energy and concern of optics and it becomes kind of a broken record that really doesn't jive with us cellularly as people. And so yet maybe all it is, is again, this cyclic thing where, you know, maybe this is time for actors, comedians, where we have to say, Hey, this moment isn't our turn for that entire creative freedom and believe enough that it'll come back. Right. The, that the playing field will level in a productive way and that, there'll be more freedom uh, as long as it is coming out of an understanding and empathy, a solidarity that will have more of that freedom come back. And, 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 but that we'll be sharing that stage with more people doing the same who haven't had the opportunity before. That's it. That's the hope. Well, I, I'm still, I'm, I've always described myself as like a, I think I'm a 52% optimist. Uh, and I do believe that, everything that's happened in the last year is going to inform us in the best way uh, and is going to have a very valuable impact on the arts and is going to make things better and more inclusive. So I, I believe in all that. I just think there are individual moments. Like when you talk, use the word empathy a lot. And I think I really, I, empathy is a very important word and also forgiveness. This, the whole concept of cancel culture is, we found that someone did something in 1979 that is now not appropriate. They're dead to us. And I think- Yeah, it's ludicrous. Yeah, what happened to, uh, let's talk about that now, but people can also be forgiven if they even need forgiving. But what happened to that? What happened, you know, why are we, it almost feels very Soviet kind of sometimes. That Yeah, this young woman who was meant to be the editor of uh, Vogue or Teen Vogue yes. magazine and she wrote some texts when she was 17 years old. It really is. I remember the, the fellow who does a lot of the better interviews for Axios was on saying, you know, when we, 
when we're destroying create uh, uh, careers like that, what are we really achieving? What are we yeah. doing? Or you look at it, you know, b- b- politicians. I give a lot of a, a big nod to anybody that's willing to enter the public arena who is doing so because they give a damn. Yeah, it's an extraordinary time. And it's up to me to fix it. I think that's the, <laughs> well, that, that's the point here. That's Sean. like the old Stephen Wright joke about uh, Smokey the Bear saying only you can prevent forest fires. And- <laughs> <laughs> I think Smokey should have helped. I really do. I think he should have gotten in there. Um, you've been working really hard, you know, obviously. Uh, and I wanted to shine a light on this because I know that core is uh, very important to you. And I think people usually imagine you traipsing around the world uh, trying to help out uh, in various far-flung corners. But CORE has been really doing uh, an amazing job trying to, first of all, get people tested for COVID, but also now to get people um, vaccinated and make sure that it's equitable. When they started coming out with vaccines, I thought, I hope this doesn't turn into people in the 1% line up and get them first. And I think there actually was a very uh, noble effort to make sure that that was not the case. Uh, I'm sure there are always people that can gain the system, but I think, I mean, you, you should speak to that, which is, it's been very important to you that disenfranchised people have access to the vaccine and that it's not just something that is available to people who are in the know. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's so many layers to the, the issues that have, have, well, opened all our eyes to the vulnerabilities of the public health system. And inequity is a big part of that. The other part of the, you know, on the other side of it, of course, we understand that it's in the very communities that are or have been left out that there is a higher degree of vaccine hesitancy. And it's not, right. it's not hard to imagine why, if only using the example of Tuskegee, because it's not, that's not some, you know, brown page a uh, piece of our history book that's 1972. So that's mothers and fathers, or at least grandfathers, grandmothers, telling stories, uh, y- y- you know, through their communities that would give one pause. Uh, in this situation, what's really important for CORE, aside from the implementation of, uh, of sites, mobile sites, as well as fixed sites across the country for vaccination, is also the information campaigns. Because we've got, you know, we're part of a, a kind of, uh, you know, chosen era of humanity uh, relative to where science is on this. And we have these extremely safe vaccines mm-hmm. and, 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 the, and vaccines that, from my understanding, because of the nature of their targeting proteins and cells, uh, may actually move forward into uh, that which is going to, you know, absolve us of cancer uh, in in the not too distant future. So, and I include Johnson and Johnson in terms of those extraordinary vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and they um, that the fact that, that this happened at this time, you know, a lot is given uh, to the. Uh, the warp speed aspect of it. But in fact, this started about, I think this started with HIV AIDS in terms of the research communities on these mRNA vaccines. And that we are in a time where everybody is going to have had had access to this with everybody in the United States will have had access to this within a year or a year and a half of uh, the onset of this pandemic is really amazing. There's another issue, which is um, misinformation out there. And some of it can have cultural ties. Some of it can have, you know, there's uh, 
I know people, I've talked to people who've told me, yeah, I'm not getting that. Uh, I don't really trust it. Some of these people that I've spoken to have gone to college, and uh, but they have biases that come from I don't know. I don't. They can come from really anywhere. Sona, I know you have friends who you've talked to who who are very well educated who've said, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to do." Yes, that. it's very frustrating. It is, and there is a lot of misinformation. A lot of the things they say is just not true. I have a friend who, uh, a good friend, who um, runs a uh, really a great uh, food distribution uh, center in uh, Lawrence, Massachusetts, Core Unum, and I've mentioned it before, but. He said it's a real struggle because I think predominantly first-generation Hispanic community, Latinx community, and he said it's that there's a lot of biases that exist and rumors that exist about how the vaccine was made. It's overcoming that. It's figuring out, you know, he is a he's a priest. He's a Catholic priest, so he's revered mm-hmm. and he's talked to them, and that's not enough. That that is not good enough to get people to overcome that bias, you know, against this strange thing we want to put in your arm. It's an education element and, and so much of this, you know, uh, you know, when we started branched from what had started out as JPHRO in Haiti and then moved into the hurricane belt in the United States, mm-hmm. we started in Savannah, Georgia. And, and what we were doing was cert, cert training locals for um, hurricane response, um, local uh, kids from 15 to their early 20s. The, uh, the, you know, the very first thing they taught us was that uh, grandma and grandpa, especially in these marginalized communities, were not inclined to trust whether it was the weather service or local authorities of any kind uh, on evacuation orders. And uh, but the, who they would trust is their is their little grandchild coming to the door and saying, you know, you got to prepare a go bag and 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 all of that. I do think that the communities are capable of healing themselves of this vaccine hesitancy because mm-hmm. if 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 Joe doesn't get it uh maybe Mary does next door and a couple of weeks later Mary's still standing and smiling and says Joe you really ought to get that vax and then Joe right. gets it and it's going to it's going to be like that and with the help of community leaders but uh I I'm optimistic about where where that's going to go the bigger issue also is the part of this you know there's misinformation and there can also be in a way too much information, which was a missile guided initially by the prior administration, where uh, there were no guidelines, there was no clarity, there were only panic being inspired or mm-hmm. or a so-called hoax being uh, considered. So it's a question of what penetrates people's understanding. It's not that the information isn't there. The information is there. It's a question of you know getting through all the debris around the information, all of this madness that has been in the last year and a year and a half on this thing. Uh, and, and I think as the dust settles, and if, you know, my feeling again is that this White House has done an extraordinary job in terms of refining and communicating those guidelines, and the task force has done an incredible job. I used to come home from working the sites here in Los Angeles or, or, or across the country, turn on the news at night, and it was maddening. Because on the ground as implementers, we knew what the simple basics were. The job was not rocket science. It was pretty simple. But even if, but to understand it was to understand which parts of it to focus on. And mm-hmm. there was, there was so many things. So that whole political part of it and the, the idea that, you know, the masking politicized and all that, it's really lunacy. 
And yeah. I, I just like to think that, again, with, with the temperament of the current leadership, if we can all partner with that, whatever our political beliefs are, and just yeah. find our way th- through as a country, all of that will settle and we'll get to a good result. I think what's most maddening to me about anti-maskers, and this is not me getting on a, on a high horse or anything or, or getting on a soapbox, but what I've, I've always noticed is that the climate deniers, the, the vaccination deniers, the mask deniers, they're basically saying, I don't trust this thing that I can't see. And yet they're more than happy to enjoy <laughs> the fruits of science and engineering with their pickup truck, with their uh, flat screen television. I mean, there's so much that I don't understand and that I can't see that I benefit from directly in my life every single day uh, that has not been politicized and everyone's enjoying the benefits of those things. So why yeah. did we just draw a tiny little circle around, let's cover our nose and mouth and that will help increase our, uh, decrease our likelihood of getting COVID by 95%, period. Yeah. Why is that suddenly suspicious? but HD television is not suspicious. I think it takes courage to have any genuine level of faith in, in humankind's ability to, to do something positive together. And right. that, that these, this other group you're talking about is, are, are the original scaredy cats. They can run around and you know flex their muscles and yell bad words and carry guns and all of that stuff. But, but, but they're, they're, at, the, at the core, it's a scaredy cat culture. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's a question of how, how, how to help give people enough courage to put on a fucking mask and do, do you know do your service to this country and the world. Well, we are really uh, at the end of our time. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I did want to pitch you one concept, which is if I can get the funding and I can get the script together, I would like you to play me <laughs> okay. uh, in a feature length film, Sean. And I think, I know that you're doing uh, you, you less acting than you yeah. used to because you're devoting so much time to helping the world. But I think this is an opportunity for you. It- I think it's an opportunity for me. It's an opportunity for you to stretch as an actor. Stretch. Um, it's really stretch. Yes. Taller. You are going to be 6'4 in this film. This reminds me of you know this terrific actor, Joel Edgerton. When he mm-hmm. first came from Australia to the States, we sat down for a coffee and he said to me, I said, what do you want to do? He says, I just want to get out of here without having my underpants on the outside of my tights. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're, so the answer is no. I'm getting it as a hard pass. I, I don't know if I can play a superhero is what I'm saying. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, always wrap the no in a candy-coated compliment and you're off the hook. Um, hey, Sean, I have to say, I, I, I love... Uh, it's, I'll say this. It's very interesting because people can have a um, a certain persona where someone might be intimidated to speak to them. Um, and I'm going to put you in that category with, you know, like a Jack Nicholson where I don't think I'd go right up to them. I wouldn't go right up to, I, I wouldn't cross a room being me. Uh, you can, but I would not cross a room and go, Jack, baby, it's Conan. Uh, I've met him. He's a delightful person. But he has that persona and you have, I, I, I suspect people would be somewhat wary uh, of just open, openly uh, walking up to you because I think you've cultivated over the years a bit of, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how Sean Penn's uh, going a gr- to- gr- A grumpiness, I think is, says it. Grumpiness. Thank you. Thank you. I had that written on my hand, grumpiness. I heard a great story about De Niro once. 
uh, I don't want to out the person, but a friend of uh, someone I know was working with Robert De Niro and he was going to be around for a couple of days. And Robert De Niro was sitting at a table and there was a bunch of people working on the project. And this person sat opposite Robert De Niro, who was reading a newspaper and said, uh, hey, I just wanted to mention, I know we're going to be hanging around with a couple of, for a couple of days working with each other. Uh, I understand that you have this townhouse and I also live in that same area. And Robert De Niro just uh, lowered the newspaper and said, no small talk. Oh my <laughs> and then put the newspaper back up <laughs> and shut the guy down. And I thought- I can't do that. I, that is not my persona. My persona is uh, put the newspaper down and, and then juggle for the person for 40 minutes straight while doing a dance. Uh, you have that persona. I think it's probably benefited you a lot. But I wanted to say that I think I've, I've talked to you at some length now, you know, three or four times, and your behavior always flies in the face of that persona. You're just a, you have a lot to say. Uh, and you have, uh, you're really fun to talk to and you've got an innate silliness. Uh, and I, I, I've, so I always, I was trying to get the word out with people that, you know, Sean Penn, you got to understand <laughs> there's a, there's a guy there who's not probably who you think he is. Well, I appreciate it. I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of you and appreciate our conversations. Also, you're a generous spirited guy. I do want to get in one thing. I'm just thinking just a shout out to all the staff and volunteers of CORE who are yep. really doing uh uh, God's work, and I'm just uh, inspired as hell by him, and I appreciate you, you know the the profile that you've helped to give to the organization. Yes, and well. I've met a lot of I've not not a lot, but I've met a number of uh, people that work on Core, and they're they have gorgeous spirits. They're really and they're doing great work, and uh, they're doing God's work. And pick whichever God you want, but they're doing that work. So um, my best to you. Uh, Thank you. I'm going to come at you with a script, <laughs> the Conan O'Brien story. To. I have my cape ready. Yeah, this is, uh, this will be, <laughs> the shoot will only take three weeks. Uh, the budget, it will be up north of $70,000. And that's about it. I'm in. On the way in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone. <laughs> cuckoo there's this new thing called rap i don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore but guess what in a world full of change there's one thing that hasn't changed mm -hmm. the great taste of miller light are you with me on oh, this oh yeah i'm right there with you yeah and you know another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling yeah i hate a filling beer yeah. when i have a filling beer i just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days but not oh. with miller light so what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it, it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
we all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah. And we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up. And I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. episodes ago, we had a a listener that mentioned that they mentioned Conan in their dating app bio and that that didn't go so well for them on a specific match. Do you guys remember that? Yes. I think I blocked that stuff out of my brain (sighs) because it's potentially uh, hurtful. But um, I thought it was nice. It was nice. Well, it's nice that the person mentioned me uh, in in what they thought was a positive way, but then that the fact that it didn't go well uh, maybe that failed to attract someone by invoking me. You could see how that could be perceived. I see the person that didn't understand Conan was an asset as a, a non-starter, a deal breaker. Like they're not up to stuff for that person that has you on their bio. I wasn't aware that such a person could exist. Well, there's another one because we're about to get into it. Oh, great. Now, this is from uh, Liam Sullivan and screenshotted the actual exchange he had on a dating app. And so I thought what we'd do is I'll read Liam's part and Sona, you can read the person that he is um, talking to. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, This is terrifying. So you're the white bubbles and I'll be the the green ones. So I'll start. Okay. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. I like your style. (laughs) Thank you. What are you doing now? Watching Jimmy Fallon. Huh? On DVR? Yes. I don't stay up late enough to watch. Cool. I get it. I'm a Conan guy myself. He's not even on anymore. It's been years, LOL. Yes, he is, LOL. Oh, shit. What channel? His last show of a 27 career is in two weeks, lady. You missed the boat. He does have a podcast. It's called Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Sona and Matt Gorley are delightful. Katakai is God made her. Good night, madam. It will never work. A cockaroo. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said I'm not sure I would watch me if I wasn't me. Does that make sense? What? What? No, you would. No, because I'm not naturally drawn to watching comedy. Uh, I I would probably watch uh, documentaries. I'd watch the stuff that I already watched. Oh, I see. And I'd be like, Conan, he's still on? I thought he died. That's probably what I would be if I wasn't me. I only know that I didn't die because (laughs) I'm me. Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah. Kind of. But I think you would watch yourself if you weren't you because 
you would have the same sensibilities and you would appreciate it. I would appreciate it, but I think I would only watch me if I wasn't me because I thought I was attractive. I would say, God, that guy's got he's really good bone structure. Look at his cheekbones oh. and he's really tall. And uh-huh. look at that hair. I mean, could that hair even being real? He's got that great sort of Dick Van Dyke silhouette and huh. uh, he's got a strong jaw. I would just be, if I wasn't me, and with someone else and obviously looked like someone else, I would see me and go, shit, that guy's fucking hot. That's like a hot guy. That's the only reason I would tune into the show. Do you ever catch yourself in the mirror by surprise? Yeah, no, I don't catch myself. I race to the mirror. <laughs> when I get up in the morning, I run to the mirror to, to see me. I'm so happy to see me because I very much like the way that I look. That's a nice message. Yeah. And I, um, so I have mirrors placed all over the place. I've had whole conversations with my children where I'm just looking at myself in one of three mirrors. <laughs> and they're telling me something that happened to them at school that like hurt their feelings or like a tough thing they're going through. And I give good advice, but the whole time I'm looking at myself going, God, that just, that hair is incredible. It is incredible hair, I will say. I shouldn't have gotten into podcasting because the you're crushing down this mighty pompadour with these big, ugly headsets that you have to wear. And you're robbing me of my trademark and possibly my only really solid asset. So we got to figure that out. We got we to get on that Yeah, right let's make that a priority. <laughs> let's really make sure that we- Well, uh, I don't have time to do it. I'm busy DVRing Fallon. Here, that's my question. Here's my thing. What? Yeah. Younger people, I didn't know they still had- TV and DVR'd things. Am I wrong? I thought everybody was a cord cutter now. I thought we all just like would watch, if you're going to watch Fallon, won't you watch him on like Hulu the Well, we don't day? know that that's the young person, do we? Well, she said, no, you know what? No, the LOL makes me feel like. No, yeah. I think I just found out. We looked into it. She's 68 years old. Oh. No, she was a nurse uh, for the Marines in the Korean War. No, I mean, her punctuation tells me that she's, she doesn't capitalize Jimmy Fallon she puts a space between the O and the B in your name. I mean, this is all like young, young stuff. No, these are these punctuation rules you're following were, really came along in the 80s, in <laughs> 70s and 80s. So I think it's a very, very old woman oh. who isn't really, you know, that hip. The oldies never really got you. The oldies, we're going to call them now? <laughs> I don't know. Like, like the older demographic, you always had a younger demographic audience because, you know, you had a lot of things that people didn't get when they were older. Like you're very like animated and you're very like goofy. And so they're just kind of like, I don't know about this Conan guy. When I walk into a restaurant for a lot of my career, old people would see me and get up and leave. Oh. They would leave the re- physically leave the restaurant. Sometimes they would climb out a window rather than be in the same room with me. <laughs> God. Yeah. There was something about, uh, I, I was too, I was, uh, this is back in the nineties, but I was very energetic and strange. Uh, and the comedy was weird. And I had many um, old people tell me, I wish wish you had never been born. Oh, wow. my God. That was a common thing. Yeah. My grandparents that said that. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. You know, my grandfather said that every time I walked into a room. <laughs> Rough life. Is it bad that I said the oldies? Now I'm worried that I- Oh, no. They're not listening to this podcast. Okay. All right. But no, I, I shouldn't say that because there are lots of uh, elderly people who do understand- you know, whatever it is I do. I don't understand whatever it is I do. So I never take it personally when someone uh, isn't on my wavelength, you know? Uh, Many geniuses have been, okay, let's not go down that road. Oh God. Uh, I think people should not reference me in their dating apps. I think it's a mistake. 
you know, what if this could have been the perfect love match, but then because this guy doubled down on Conan O'Brien, he blew it. But I think he's putting his cards out on the table. This is what matters to him. And he needs someone that will appreciate that. I'm telling my fans, if you want to carry on the species, if you want to procreate, stop mentioning my name. (laughs) Don't mention Conan O'Brien when you're talking to a lady, you know, uh, or if you're a lady to a guy. When chemistry and biology and sexual matters are involved, my name should not be invoked. It runs counter to the pursuit. I don't know. I disagree. Okay. Mention it a lot. I yeah. invoke your name in sexual encounters all the time. And it, yeah. it only helps. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I would say it, if you really want to test someone and mention my name during sexual encounters. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. Just start shouting Conan uh, at a critical moment. That will tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> Horrifying. I, you know, it's, it's horrifying when you think of any host, actually, because if you're yelling Fallon yeah. at the same time, that's not good either. No. There's no. no host whose name should be yelled at the critical moment. No. Diane Sawyer. No. <laughs> Oprah. Morley Safer. <laughs> I actually think that works kind of in a weird way. Yeah. Morley Safer. Regis. Regis kind of works. Yeah, Regis does He's work. no longer with us, but one of the great hosts of all time. And I think during Climax, if you yelled, Regis, it just, I don't know, it sort of works. Oh, geez. It does right. sort of work. Well, it sounds like we all got some homework. Yeah. Wait, what? We got to find mean? out if that works. Matt said, oh, I get see what to you mean. Doing it and then with our respective partners and yell out, Regis. Yeah. During Everybody, the all the listeners, next time you, you get to it, yell, Regis, and report back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do that. Do that. Because a podcast told you to do that very thing. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Will Beckton. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.